And I should have mentioned Leland's out sick, um, which accounts for, for me teaching. Um, I think he, um, somebody had said maybe the flu, so um, he wasn't feeling very good uh, at least a day or so ago. So we're going to continue our study of the Psalms. And specifically, we're going to be looking at some, some of the Messianic Psalms in more detail. Obviously, Leland last week went through a number of the different Messianic Psalms, touched on a number of the different Psalms. And this evening, we're going to look at really three in more detail and kind of dig into it a little bit. Um, and so, um, working from Bruce's notes, I've added some to, to the notes. And so, if something sounds a little off, those are, that's my part. The, the stuff that's really clear, that's all of Bruce's information. Um, but with all that said, would very much appreciate anybody's thoughts, anybody's addition, their, uh, their comments around these, these different psalms. So we're going to look at uh, Psalm 22. Uh, I've titled it up there, the Psalm of the Cross. We're going to look at Psalm 110. Uh, it's both a high priest and, um, and King Christ, that is. And then Psalm 16, as far as looking about his Christ's hope uh, beyond the grave. So to begin with, uh, and we looked at last week, there are a lot of, a lot of the Psalms that, that reference or are, appear to reference Christ. Uh, sometimes those references are really clear and really obvious, and other times maybe it's a little, uh, you might be a little unsure. Um, Bruce put it this way. He said it's kind of like the term Messiah. Um, Messiah meaning anointed one. Um, it can have, and you can look back from a, an actual, that word, a historical standpoint, it can speak to a king or an anointed person that's, that's being set aside to do something special, specifically David even. Uh, but in the same light, you can look at that same word and it can obviously have... Um, point to Christ and to that, those ideas of the last judgment and the, the final resurrection and, and those kind of things that the anointed one, that be, being Christ, can provide for us. And so as we look through these Psalms, obviously we looked at it last week, but then as we look through them this week, it's just something to think about. Now, I think the, the Psalms we're going to look at this week are going to be pretty obvious in my opinion, that they point to Christ. Um, these three, I think it's very, it would be very difficult in my mind to say there's any question that at least portions of them don't point to Christ. Um, I wanted us to start out in Luke chapter 24, and I appreciate Michael for catching my mistake. I originally had Luke 24, 27, or 27, 44 anyway. There's no... Um, there's no chapter 27 in Luke, which would be difficult to read from. But if we look at Luke chapter 24, it's talking and, and showing us uh, Christ's interaction with the apostles after his resurrection. So in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that being Christ, explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. If you'll then skip down to, to verse 44 in that same chapter, and now he, again being Christ, said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so that's what we're going to look at this evening, is some of the Psalms that, that we see fulfilled um, in, in Christ and is specifically in, um, in some of the latter part um, of, of Christ, Christ on the cross and such. So let's start off by turning to Psalm 22. 
And so um, during our study this, uh, of this, we're going to read through probably a little over half um, of this in, in different chunks. Um, so previously, we, we've looked at some of the words that, that Christ spoke and that were referenced from the Psalms, both um, you know, leading up to his crucifixion and his teachings. Um, and when we look at Psalm 22, obviously we read in the first opening section, the opening uh, passage, a passage that's going to be really familiar to us and, and we'll all immediately know. Um, so in Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Far from, far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. So obviously, we're all very familiar with that quotation from, from the cross. Um, and so it's, it's um, not just those few words, but I think Christ in quoting and referencing and making that statement, in my opinion, intended to draw us to this psalm, intended to draw us to the entirety of the psalm, not just one or two verses. And so I want us to look at it in its entirety. Now, to begin with, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here's a ton of debate on what that means. What does it mean when God, to, when Christ said that, why have you forsaken me? And we're not going to get into that kind of detail because we can go into a rabbit hole there and not ever get out and not ever have really a good answer. Um, it's interesting to debate and interesting to discuss, uh, but I think in looking at, again, Psalm 22 in its entirety, we might have a little bit better understanding about what, what that verse is speaking to. Um, I think to begin with, um, most attribute this to, to David as far as his writing this scripture. Um, as, as Bruce had referred to earlier, even if it says a psalm of David, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that it was written by David. It could be a psalm for David. In all likelihood, though, I think it probably was, um, considering kind of the content and, and you think about David's life. You think about some of the things that David endured and that could have led him to say those kind of things. So what, what kind of things do we think of that might have led David to say, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me, or write that in the psalm? He was anointed as king and then immediately had to go on the run. Yeah, anointed as king and, and immediately on the run. What else? That his kingdom taken from him by sons. Absalom. Yep. What else? So the other one I thought about is just the, the strife within his household. Um, that was a result of his sin. And so there's multiple things that I think could have led David down this uh, to say those kind of things. Um, but I think what we have to realize, and when we look at uh, the latter part of this verse or this chapter, you see. He, him starting out with that sorrow, but in the end turning around and praising and recognizing God's greatness in this psalm. And so I think that tells us, in my mind, a whole lot about this, this passage in Christ quoting it. So let's read the first five verses of Psalm 22, and there's, then there's a couple other passages I want us to look at that, that help me understand um, this, this section a little bit. So Psalm 22, let's read the first five verses. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. O oh my God, I cry by day, but thou dost, dost not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. 
yet thou art holy. O thou who art enthroned upon the praises of Israel, in thee our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To thee they cried out and were delivered. In thee they trusted and were not disappointed. And so again, it, even though you're, you're, we're reading in that first verse, why have you forsaken me? You see um, David in his writing pointing to that deliverance that had been provided to the Israelites, to, to his people, um, even in those times of difficulty. A couple of other verses um, that I think about, first of all, Isaiah uh, 59 and 2, we won't turn over there necessarily, but um, the promise that are the, the recognition that God has no fellowship with sin. And so I think that's something to think about from a background in thinking about Christ on the cross. He took on our sins. He took on the sins of the world. And thinking about God having no fellowship with sin, I think, has to play into how we study and how we think about this verse and Christ using it on the cross. I did want us to turn over to Isaiah chapter 54 um, real quick. Um, and look at 54 verses, chapter 54 of Isaiah, verses 7 and 8. Um, I think it also might help, at least it helped me understand, um, maybe what this meant um, a little bit better. So Isaiah 54, verses 7 and 8 says, For a brief moment I forsook you. Um, and, and this is obviously Isaiah speaking as the, as the voice of God. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. And so again, Isaiah speaking to the children of Israel as the voice of God, uh, and I think this is speaking to or pointing to the, the 70 years of of captivity or the years of captivity um, where they were oppressed, the children of Israel were, did God truly um, turn his back on them or forsake them? No, no, I, I don't think he did. You know, he might have left them to their punishment, to what they deserve based on their sin. He might have let their enemies conquer them, but did he turn his back on them? I don't think so. And the wording here is the same, or is very similar. Um, you know, forsaking them for a short period of time. Um, so, again, that helps me understand. I think the other piece, if we turn over to Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews 13 and verse 5, you know, stepping aside from, I guess, the discussion of, of Christ in, in particular and thinking about us. Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 5, Let your character be free from love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor I, will I ever forsake you. So again, Christ is prom I mean, God has promised to never forsake us. Um, so again, it's difficult, and we can go down a million rabbit holes with what does it mean when Christ says, why have you forsaken me? Um, but I do think that with the idea of God having no fellowship or no uh, alignment with sin was something we got to keep in our mind, but also the thought of um, even if it was temporarily um, that, it was probably in my mind more of a feeling uh, that God, that Christ felt in his sorrow and his difficulties. I guess I'll open it up for a second. Um, like I said, I don't want to go down a million rabbit holes. Um, 
and spend the whole class on this, but I did want to open it up for a second. You're right. It's, it's a big discussion about what, what that could mean in totality. I think in Matthew's account of the gospel, in an interesting context, Matthew shows us that those at the cross, they begin, I think, unknowingly quoting this psalm first, mm-hmm. saying, he trusts in God, let him deliver him if he delights in him. And it is after they start saying that, Jesus then will give this first line of this psalm as well, possibly referring to it literally, maybe also calling to their mind. They said the same thing about David in the Psalms, and how did that turn out as well? It's an interesting connection there. Yep. I was going to say, too, I was noticing this, uh, the thought about the writer and therefore Jesus feeling like deliverance was far away and uh, wasn't coming, and yet um, just three, about three breaths later, one or two or three breaths later, um, there's a trust that he will be delivered. And it reminded me of John chapter 12, verse 27. Now my soul has been troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Deliver me from this hour. Can I, am, I, am I willing to say, deliver me? Um, but for this hour I have come. So it's not that he's delivered out of the trouble. He's delivered through the trouble. Maybe there's something in there to help us. Uh, and I think to add on the, that will kind of wrap up what I thought um, you were talking about uh, far from my deliverance, um, you know, that idea of being far, but later on in the same, the same chapter in, in verse 19, but thou art Lord be not far off thou my help hasten to my assistance. And so that whole idea of, and so that's why, again, I think when you think about, at least for myself, when I think about it, it's the sorrow, the difficulty, the pain, the trouble that you are enduring, sometimes you feel lonely, sometimes you feel difficult, and feel like the, the situation is so difficult that you can't overcome it. Um, but in the same voice, after voicing those pain, that difficulty, you turn and realize the Lord's there. And regardless of what we endure, again, going back to Hebrews, he's promised to never forsake us. He's promised to always be with us. And you think about, I think about passages that talk about never being tempted beyond what we can, we can handle. Uh, and so he's promised to <clears throat> provide f- for us in, in that light. Any other additional comments before we move on? said we can go down a ton of rabbit holes with that um, but I think the the last thing I'll say relative to this is and it's true of this entire chapter in Psalms is you see if we're we're looking at this as a messianic prophecy which again I think it is and, and Christ spoke many of these words you see the pain that Christ endured for us. You see his humanity in this and the difficulties that he faced for our sins and what he endured so that we have that means of forgiveness. So uh, let's continue on. Let's read verses 6 through 10 of Psalm 22. Psalm 22, beginning in verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They They separate with the lip. They wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, because he delights in him. Yet thou art he who didst bring me forth from the womb. Thou didst make me trust when upon my mother's breast. 
Upon thee I was cast from birth. Thou hast been my God from my mother's womb. And so again, another reference uh, to back to Christ on the cross. If you, we look here, all of those who see me deride me. The version is maybe a little bit different from what I read. They sneer, they shake their heads saying, turn him over to the Lord. Let him save him. Like, let God save him. Uh, let him rescue him. Again, does that sound familiar? If we turn over to Matthew chapter 27... Matthew 27, we see, obviously, the fulfillment of it that, that um, was referenced. Just um, can't remember which one of you guys mentioned it, but was talking about the, the, those quoting in the, in the crowd as Christ was crucified. So Matthew 27, uh, verse 39, And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you were the Son of God, come down from the cross. So again, you see that direct connection between, um, between this psalm and, and the fulfillment there in Matthew, um, as well as in, in Mark's account. Um, so this prediction was made a thousand years or so prior to it actually being fulfilled uh, and in pretty impressive detail. Uh, so it's not some vague prophecy that was fulfilled. It's a very specific. Uh, and you see, again, back to the, the, the final point I made with verse 1, you see what Jesus endured for us and because of us. Um, you know, it's not not just, and we, we're going to talk about this in a second with uh, verse 14, not just the, the physical pain, but also the, the mental pain and the, the abuse that was, was hurled at him by his own brothers, by the Israelites and, and by, by those that, um, yeah, I guess, would have been part of the same family that he was from a, from a um, children of Abraham, that, that sense. Um, so he was scorned and ridiculed even as he was in that agony, in that difficult time. Any thoughts on that before we continue? Okay. So let's, let's move on and read verses 11 through 14. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there's none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me. As a, ra as a ravening and roaring lion, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaw, and thou dost lay me in the dust of death. And so again, we see, I think, very clear images in my mind of Christ on the cross and, and Christ uh, after his um, after his death, but in in specifics, let's look at verse fourteen. Poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax; it's melted within me. So you see, Christ, um, that idea of the difficult, the pain that he was suffering, um, not only physically but I think emotionally, mentally, idea of a, of a broken heart as a result of that. Um, Jesus physically suffers so great that it says here that his heart is like wax that's melting within him. Um, so 
you think about what we most often point to in the, the memorial of the Lord's Supper is, is the physical pain he endured. But I think this points to um, the emotional pain and the, the difficulty that he endured in addition to the physical, the emotional, the, the mental suffering. Um, the exhaustion this, as far as what he endured. I think about how Christ's friends, those surrounding him, his closest compatriots, had abandoned him. Um, I think about um, how he sees the suffering of those around him. He sees his mother there watching her son die. I think um, you know, that painful for her and difficult for her, being mocked, being spit upon, in addition to, to the scourging and the pain, uh, you just see the difficulties of all of this, the questioning that he endured, uh, leading to that, that broken heart, um, that uh, heart being like wax in him, um, melting. Any thoughts on that? Okay, let's continue on, um, and let's read verses 15 and 16. Um, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaw, and thou dost lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Uh, so here, specifically looking at the latter part of verse 16, they pierced my hands and feet. So prior to, to this time was crucifixion common. A thousand years prior was it common? No. How were, how were um, in the Jewish nation, how were criminals, how were sinners punished? Stoning. And so, again, another one of those that a thousand years in advance, this is being pointed out as his hands being pierced to, um, and his feet being pierced a thousand years before maybe that was even in existence. Uh, again, pointing to, to this as... A, a prophecy of Christ. Um, in Rome, obviously, it, it was the form of execution, uh, whereas in contrast to Israel, the stoning was the, the way it was applied. Um, so you think about if you tried to apply this just to David, it'd be very hard to do. It'd be very hard to say um, David, even if he was thinking he would die or be, be punished in, in the sense of death, um, wouldn't lead to crucifixion. It would be stoning in all likelihood. So, um, you know, I doubt David knew that when he wrote it, but obviously was looking forward to Christ and um, that example. But Jason? Yep. I, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm clear, and that is this psalm is written by David mm -hmm. about David, mm -hmm. about some difficulties he's going through, yep. and the language here is is highly figurative mm -hmm. to describe the immense amount of suffering that he's experiencing because of people around him. Yep. Doesn't matter who it is, but and we've already discussed. But the, the images here, they are prophetic, but this is a Psalm of David about David. Yeah, yeah and I, I agree. Okay. You know, if I misspoke, um, you know, I, I think as with any of the Psalms, um, and I, I hesitate to make a general statement, but I think all of the Psalms are, are going to have implications in meaning then and there, first and foremost. And so we need to look at that first. Um, but 
there are some that are very specifically pointing to Christ. And so, as with if when we study the epistles, you got to make sure that you understand what the meaning was then before you necessarily start applying it now. You meet the meaning to the, the readers, the in this case, maybe the singers, in, in the period of David. So, yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, and so, um, sorry if I didn't... Again, that's more me than Bruce. That's more, more me than Bruce as far as my notes. Um, but yes, I mean, this is David talking about potentially Absalom and those difficulties, potentially the consequences of his sin, potentially uh, the kingdom, him being anointed and then having to hide. Um, who knows? But yeah, I do think that it was first and foremost about David's suffering. But the language, again... Being pierced, I think, even though it was figurative for David, it's, I, it's, there's no denying that it's pointing to Christ. So. David said that the Holy Spirit moved him. Yep. And so I don't think he had to absolutely understand everything that he was writing uh, in order for God to be able to use this as a messianic prophecy. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that when you look at... I would imagine that there's a lot of Isaiah, other prophets, that the, the prophet didn't understand how it fit into things um, necessarily. I mean, probably all, many of you have the same footnote that I do that mentions um, regarding that piercing of the hands and feet that some Hebrew, Hebrew manuscripts... The Vulgate, Septuagint, Syriac, um, have like a lion, they are at my hands and feet. So maybe it's a different yeah. in the original. Yeah, could be. I didn't go back and look at the original Hebrew. Um, I struggle enough with Greek. Um, Hebrew blows my mind. Um, so, so thank you for your comments, and thank you, Carrie, for the, for the clarification, because I think you, you're definitely spot on there. Um, let's continue, unless there are other comments. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. They took, they stare at me, they divide. Well, let's stop at 17. Um, so again, here, I think you can see, uh, again, Christ on the cross, um, you know, although, again, figurative language to begin with, with, with David, but here you see, I picture Christ on the cross, you know, stripped, um, you know, the difficulties, the blood, the sweat, the, all that he's endured, you can count my bones, and people stare at me. You see the picture, and we've, we've already read in Matthew 27, the people walking by, looking at him, and staring, kind of the, the spectacle of the whole thing. Um, again, I see this uh, as another, um, again, reference to, to Christ. Continuing on, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Verse 18, but thou, O Lord, be not far off. O thou, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. Thou dost answer me. So again, uh, John 19 and, and verses 23 and following talk about the soldiers dividing his garments and, and in essence, gamble for his ga garments and casting, casting um, 
lots for his garments so that they, they um, are divided up uh, amongst them. Again, figure of language, first of all, from a David standpoint, but then more importantly for our study this evening, looking and, and directly prophesying what happened and what was fulfilled through Christ. Um, so, again, kind of to wrap that up or wrap this, this psalm up, it's, it's David's time of suffering and his difficulty put into this figurative language. Um, you know, the whole idea of the, when the difficulties that David was facing, um, sometimes he might have felt alone. Sometimes he might have felt uh, tortured and, and in a place where he had no way out. And, and again, applying directly to Christ. You know, as he endured these things for us, uh, that whole idea of being forsaken, the whole idea of, uh, but in the end, returning to God and looking to God for that salvation. You see David returning in these, these verses 19 through 20, 21, and further down throughout the rest of this psalm. Uh, but again, I think you see, you see also uh, Christ in the end. You know, I, I turn my soul to you. Um, I know we've kind of made this point already, but just reading those verses there, verses 17 and 18, I do think about David's life. I think about those two specific instances when he had to flee from Saul. You know, he had a home, he had a wife, and he had to flee. You know, and I, and I can see some, you know, while there, it may be figurative, I can also see some very real world practical. He left all his stuff behind. You know, his wife was given to somebody else. His things were probably, you know, divided up and given to other people. And then even later on when he has to flee from the city from Absalom and the hunger that could have been there, you know, the people that were taking all of his things. So I think we can also definitely see some very real world situations in David's life that he could have been referencing, you know, as he was guided by the Spirit to also prophesy into the future. Yeah. And I think the, that I, kind of is a good dovetail into where I was going to end is I think we can see some obvious places where this could have happened within David's life. But I think the, the other thing is I always try to think about application to me. You know, there are going to be times in our lives where we face difficulties, where we feel like we're all alone, like we feel like we're abandoned, um, and where we're facing challenges. And, and not to make, you know, to, to say that we're ever going to be in the same situation that David was or that Christ was. But as we face those difficulties, I think Thinking about um, this passage brings me comfort in thinking about how David um, kind of circled back and, and returned in this figurative language to looking to Christ for his salvation and for his, his um, kind of be his, his rock. Um, so um, other comments on Psalm 22 before we move on? I think the... I think it's interesting to see that David, when he's talking about the, you know, the strength that you see coming out of this from the deliverer is not the deliverance in and of itself, but it's at the end of verse 24, uh, nor is he hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him for help, he heard. So it's the acknowledgement and the, the, um, just the idea of being seen and not being forgotten mm -hmm. that the Lord sees and hears and knows. Um, not necessarily deliverance, and that's what gives him strength. Mm -hmm. Very good. 
So we're going to transition on to, to Psalm 110. I think it's interesting in some of Bruce's notes. Psalm 22 talks about the suffering um, Savior. Psalm 23 is the Savior as our shepherd. And then Psalm uh, 24 talks about the exalted Savior. So again, you see those three uh, pulled together in, in kind of the continuity as far as looking at Christ and some different um, characteristics of Christ. Again, there's, I think that the, um, there's some obvious connections there that um, are interesting to look at. Well, let's look over at Psalm 110. Uh, let's read it in its entirety because it's a shorter psalm. Um, psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of thine enemy. Thy people will volunteer freely in those days of thy power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, thy youth are to thee as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at thy right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over the broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So it begins, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Um, so again, I, most people believe that David wrote this. And, and again, I think that looking at the New Testament references that we'll look at in a second, I think it's pretty easy to confirm that. Um, when, when it says, the Lord said to my Lord, who are the Lord's? One is Yahweh. Yep. The other is, is a reference to Adonai. So the first one is Yahweh. Jehovah, so God. Um, so I wrote it out. So Yahweh, the great I am, God, said to Adonai, or Christ, sit at, sit at my right hand. So again, just to, to um, kind of set it up, again, simpleton like me, I've got I've to put it in order so that I make sure I keep it straight. Um, otherwise, I'll stand up here and misspeak really easily. Um, so the New Testament records, let me get back. To my, the New Testament records this in, in a couple of different places. Um, you know, um, Matthew 22 and in Acts 2. But let's start off in Luke 2, verses 10 and 11. Uh, you see some fulfillment of, of Christ being that king. Um, and again, I think this is pointing to, and we'll look at in Matthew 22 and in Acts 2, um, the Lord said to my Lord, so God said to Christ, I think this is pointing to, to David saying that about Christ, uh, or God saying that to Christ. Luke 2, verses 10 and 11, um, uh, the birth of Christ. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is the Christ, the Lord. So in Christ, we see the King, we see the Lord, uh, we see uh, our Savior um, being born, uh, Savior of mankind. Uh, but then let's jump over to Matthew chapter 22, where, where this is referenced by Christ himself, this passage. Um, 
Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 46. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked, asked them a question, saying, Why do you think, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. And he said to them, Christ said to them, Then how does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? So if David calls him Lord, how is the Savior his son? And so here again, you see reference, uh, Christ referencing this in that dialogue with the Pharisees. Um, and when he asked them, who, who, is the, who is the Christ? And they responded, the son of David. I think it's probably likely that they were talking and thinking more about the lineage of David, the son of David. Um, and when the, the Pharisees said that about the Messiah, um, they're, again, likely focusing there rather than um, thinking about this passage as far as the, the proof that Christ is who he is. So Jesus sought to show them from that psalm that the Messiah would also be God's son. Uh, the Messiah would also be that deity. Um, and again, looking, looking also over in Acts chapter 2, um, Acts chapter 2, we see Peter in the day of Pentecost using the same... Um, some of the same language to support or to prove that Christ uh, was who he professed to be. Acts 2 and verse 34 and, their, uh, 34 and 35, For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so again, you see Peter using this to establish Christ as the Messiah, establish Christ as the Son of God. Um, David, David didn't ascend to the heavens, um, but he says in, in these verses, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the house of Israel know assuredly. So again, using this proof that Christ was the king, was the Messiah, but also was the son of God. In these same verses in, in Psalm or in the following verses in Psalm 110, back to Psalms. Uh, Psalm 110 we look at verse uh, 4, we also see Christ again being referred to as the king, but also the priest. Um, and the Lord has sworn that he will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Uh, so another obvious, I think, messianic proof here are pointing to, to Christ as the Messiah. Um, where did the, the priest have to come from? Which tribe? Yeah. And where did the kings have to come from? And so you can't have that. Some kings might have tried it, but it didn't go well for them. Uh, the only king who was both a king and a priest was Melchizedek. Um, we can see, I'm getting behind on my slides, but we can see um, in Genesis chapter 14 um, the interaction between Melchizedek and Abraham. Uh, and you also see reference and proof again in Hebrews chapter 6 uh, around um, 
Christ being that high priest, that, that king, but also the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, um, but also the high priest that, that um, Abraham offered um, tribute to. Um, so back to in Psalm 110 in verse 1, we also see um, some of the work of the Messiah. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. Um, so sitting at the right hand of God, um, ruling and reigning and acting as a mediator for us as a high priest. Um, think about 1 Corinthians um, tying to this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24 through 28. Um, read that real quick. Um, then comes the end when he delivers up to the kingdom, uh, he delivers up the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. He has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that, he's, that he that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. So again, um, Christ is ruling, is mediating um, until that final, that final conquest um, of nations of death in the end, uh, when it will be turned over, um, as it says here in 1 Corinthians. So again, that idea of the, the Messiah leading um, and guiding us and serving as a mediator for us uh, until the end. So comments about, about Psalm 110 before we move on quickly? Again, I'm running out of time here real quick. Um, in fact, I'll probably just briefly um, go through this um, and not dig into it a lot. Uh, but Psalm 16 um, is our last psalm to look at. And the whole idea of, of Christ uh, and this psalm speaking to or pointing to um, Christ having that hope. Um, having that hope um, beyond the grave. Um, and so why did he have that hope? Because he knew he was going to be risen. He knew he wouldn't undergo that decay uh, as was as is foretold here. Um, so, and you see again, going back to Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, the reference to this and uh, showing that David's words point to Jesus. Um, and David's hope um, in these, it talks about hope, um, wasn't immediately realized. Uh, it wasn't until Christ's resurrection uh, are, and, and in the end, the final resurrection until that, that hope is truly fulfilled. So I think we're out of time. I hope I did good service. Uh, Bruce would have done a much better job than I did, and hopefully he will be back soon so the backup and the water boy doesn't have to fill in anymore. Thank you for your comments.